somebody like some, somebody like Beyonce and, and um, you know, a few artists that are typically um, uh, very like invested in um, the, the energy that their music is, is outputting from the beginning to the end. Um, they, they, they are a bit more um, precise with their targeting. Sure. So you said you were writing that uh, at home, DL4 pedal. You said they called you and said she wanted to cut it tonight. Yeah, and it was um, yeah. Basically, uh, they heard the demo, and and I I don't even know how much time passed. Maybe maybe a week, and, uh, and then I got a call, uh, kind of around the time when I when I signed the deal, um, and like she wants it. So um, I was just about to or I was on tour actually with James um, and uh, and sent the stems off and um, and then didn't really hear the finished product until shortly before everyone else. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. Welcome to the New Music Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. My guest today is singer-songwriter Kevin Garrett. Can we cut to the chase here? He is an extremely talented R&B, soul, neo-soul singer-songwriter based out of Pittsburgh. Beautiful, angelic voice, incredible songwriter. I'm a big fan of his. Um, This was actually a real treat to speak with him. Now, I need to make a little uh, technical caveat note. We're both coming to you from our homes. We're recording this uh, in quarantine um and we did this over zoom uh unfortunately um the technical gods were were not in our favor in this moment so uh it it gets a little glitchy um so if if you're hearing sentences kind of get chopped off or you're hearing some of that that internet um uh, glitchy sounds of of what you're hearing on many zoom calls that i'm sure you've been on over the last uh however long that's what's going on so uh, we listened back through it and we we tried to edit it as best we could and so you should be able to to understand him and and uh, it's still a, a very interesting conversation that we had uh we dig into music publishing he is um He's signed to Rock Nation for publishing. He's an independent recording artist. Uh, he he releases his music through a wall. Uh, famously, he is Grammy nominated for writing Beyonce's song "Pray You Catch Me" from her Lemonade album. That's the lead off song from Lemonade. So not not too many twenty uh, somethings can say they have a cut on Beyonce's record. Our interview was was really interesting, and uh, I, I think you're gonna really dig it. Of course, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ari Herstand or at Ari's Take, and then please sign up for the email list. 
that can be found at ariestake.com where you'll be notified of all upcoming events and get regular information on the goings-ons in the music industry. So without further ado, let's cut to it. Kevin Garrett, welcome to the show. Uh, this is this is quarantine sessions right now. Where, where are you quarantined right now? I am, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm in yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, it's nice. I, I have this apartment uh, I'm never in when the world <laughs> works, so it's nice to, to be living here uh, finally. <laughs> but this isn't the house you grew up in. This is your own space now. Yeah, no, I'm in my own space. Nice, that's that's great. So it's um, I'm I mean, how much time now? I guess your your tours. You had a, t- a big tour scheduled for May, June. Um, that's probably canceled at this point. I would imagine. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten the official word yet because uh, this is support. But uh, yeah. I would imagine, I would imagine that, that pretty much everything's going to be wiped for everything shut down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, so. I'm I'm curious. How are you spending your days? How are you passing the time? I mean, have you uh, kind of shifted your schedule, and are you now just just writing most days? I know you're doing a lot of live stream concerts. Yeah, uh, I stay active on on social media, um, mm-hmm. for better or worse, just to um, uh, keep myself occupied and also hopefully um, provide a little bit of entertainment for for anyone who wants to watch. But um, been writing a lot. Uh, you know, made the mad dash home. Uh, mm. So I could um, sort of get back to my creative space. Also uh, get to where I'm, uh, my healthcare is covering and right. uh, <laughs> a, couple, a couple other things. But, Beautiful uh, HMOs, huh? Where you got to <laughs> be in network and your primary care provider. Got it. Yes. <laughs> I know a lot of writing, um, a lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a, uh, a lot of video games. Okay. What's uh what's your go-to video game at this point? Right now I've been playing a lot of uh this game called Apex Legends, which is like a battle royale type game and then um and then Call of Duty. Uh okay. it's kind of strange. Video gaming is is a weird thing for me because I love games. Mm-hmm. But um, I got an Xbox because my friends didn't want to uh, hang out with me in real life. Uh so, <laughs> the xbox a year and a half ago to um, to hang out with my friends virtually and now it's like the perfect thing to do so yeah uh, that's, that's uh you know we're all finding ways during this time to connect with our friends in uh in ways that we're not necessarily um used to or you know in the in the physical world where we don't have that opportunity anymore so i just did a uh, a full I'm doing a lot of zoom sessions with family uh, around the world right now which is which is kind of nice and friends just catching up I've, um, so you um, well first off I don't know if you know I'm one of the co-founders of uncancelled music festival which you played a few days ago oh. so thank you for, oh. for playing that <laughs> thanks for thinking that. That I'm, yeah we well we booked this interview like a month or two ago and it just so happened that when this whole thing hit uh, a couple of friends and I were like, how are we going to help like the artists and the music venues that, uh, you know, have all their stuff shut down right now. And so we kind of put together Uncanceled Music Festival just to kind of, you know, have a way for artists to 
um, at least kind of play some shows and music venues to make some money uh, and at least kind of hopefully cover their expenses. And so that's why we kind of launched it. And now we're just, you know, first weekend of this thing. But yeah. So. yeah I mean, it's, a, it's such a great idea. And obviously when Hotel Cafe um, reached out uh, to, to join to let me be a part of it. That was no brainer, obviously. But um, yeah, thanks for thanks for putting that together. I mean, yeah, yeah, and Hotel Cafe, they were the first venue we locked in because they just have a, such a special place. Uh, well, in our hearts, I mean, I, I live in LA and that's that's my second home. I'm there multiple times a week, every week, yeah. <laughs> either hanging out or playing or, you know, it's just it's just the space to to be. And it's been so supportive as one of those kind of songwriter, singer-songwriter venues. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the epicenter of the singer-songwriter scene in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've done a really great job of curating their their lineup for this um they jumped on and and actually we've i mean the festival we're we're i think at this point sit five six days into it and the festival itself has raised over seventy five thousand dollars um for music venues and artists and then music cares the charity partner um and and hotel cafe also um has gotten a, a good part of that to kind of help you know we that was the one thing is it's like we cannot have the hotel cafe go under <laughs> like we were like we were coming together like if anything we have to save the hotel cafe i mean that's just like yeah. where all of us have kind of you know grown up um musically and and it's such a focal point of the scene here so that's that's cool so you um i mean you're in pittsburgh now you grew up in pittsburgh i know you did a stint um in new york was that uh because you went to nyu um, did you just kind of stay there after school and did you graduate? Yeah, I, uh, I, I graduated in, um, 2013 and, uh, lived there until I think 2016. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, New York and, uh, and specifically like some of the creative communities in, in Brooklyn and, and all, all this, all parts of the city, um, mm-hmm. motivate you to, to, keep uh try to outdo yourself i'm curious about what you think the scene in new york uh what you think of it what now was this the community you were hanging out with in new york was it primarily nyu kids or or is there like a music scene that you found uh, a place in 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 the city itself so when i first started playing shows uh when i got there it was maybe 2010 2000 yeah maybe early 2010 um And uh, it was with uh, it was a Rockwood Music Hall, um, yep. and also part was, of Uncanceled Music Festival. <laughs> and that um, there's there's been 15 years this year, I think, because um, we we had a show in February there too for for that wow. anniversary. Um, cool. Back then, I mean, that was 10 years ago now. Wow, um, the, uh, the club was still only two stages. Um, and I played at uh, 3 p.m. on like a Sunday. In stage there, one? There. Yeah, exactly. Right, the tiny little space. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but it was easy to see like if uh, if if you put the effort in uh, to to sort of engage, it, it's a very fairly welcoming community. The NYU community was, was more of a, in my program at least, uh, a bit more geared in the sort of like alt rock, like punk um, I, I had a short stint in a band where I played bass and uh, wore a fake mustache, and we played like um, Shea Stadium and and uh, and pianos. And, <laughs> nice, uh, cool. And, yeah, it was fun. Uh, but I think sort of my speed um, is is a bit more in the Rockwood sort of vibe, and, and sure. 
uh yeah over the years uh everybody over there has been it's like the east coast version of hotel cafe right uh, right definitely so, a counterpart there um yeah. so you may you came out with uh your first kind of release uh, official release melodrama uh five years ago i guess almost to the day um yeah. and uh now did you make that uh while you were in new york did you have kind of a dorm setup or did you go back to pittsburgh in your space there to create the, that record so Maybe everything better. yeah everything was was written um or less uh at my in, in pittsburgh um and um the person i was working with was was also from pittsburgh um and uh we recorded in brooklyn we recorded at a studio called mission sound um mm. where and to this day, like pretty much anything I've ever released has been in the room in some capacity. So um, it's a it's a great space right in Williamsburg ish. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's a nice it's a nice area to just kind of be creative. He has a lot of old vintage gear and and uh, amps and and amazing little piano setup. So it's it kind of right in my wheelhouse. But nice. everything was recorded there. Yeah. Well, uh, tell me the name of the studio again. It's called Mission Sound. It's on Mission uh, Sound. Warmer and Powers. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, will you have so the the setup that you have at home, um, kind of in your Pittsburgh space and just wherever you you might be located, is that just for demos, or do you do any of the tracking uh, that ends up making the the record um, in your space? A bunch of stuff on Melodrama was uh, was largely in the studio, but a lot of vocals have that have have made it out uh, that are just. Um, you know, on a beat up condenser mic from my bedroom sure, sure. holding by the XLR cable. Um, right. <laughs> I have uh, I have a bunch of keyboards. Uh, I don't use too many like soft synths or, or um, MIDI instruments. Uh, I like to stay away from that. So I have um, a couple of pretty good uh, key presets on, on the, like this Korg SP1 that I like to cool. use for piano sound and a few profs and, and Junos for, for like synthesizer stuff. And then um, yeah, at this yeah. point, I got so many drums recorded from every session that I've done in the studio that there's just a, a endless well of samples uh, that I can kind of cut these together until it's time to like go somewhere and put actual instruments. Oh, on wow. Them. So when you're creating, I mean, actually, yeah, tell me about your creation process now. Um, so you're not pulling, uh, splice samples of, of drum loops, you're, or, or just like, you know, any of those, uh, loops anywhere, you're actually taking the sessions, your sessions from mission with your drummer and just kind of writing to that. Is that, is that kind of the process yeah. now? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, a kind of my own little hybrid library of, of samples that I love. And then, uh, just like live recordings of uh, sounds that I've gotten over time at uh, places like Mission. Uh, I just do things what I, I believe to be relatively backwards. And I like sort of piecing everything out uh, sound by sound. And, and it takes a bit longer, but um, it's just the way I, I do things. I, I like to think that um, in, in when I'm kind of in my room, in terms of what you were saying about getting things demo, uh, mm -hmm. I can I get it to like 80%. Mm. And then, um, and, and then I would like to always sort of take it to another place, if not just to get fresh ears on it, um, to, mm -hmm. to try some things that I don't have. And all of the, um, that process to kind of get in it to the 80%, uh, that, um, is that 80% of the demo or is that 80% of the actual final track? And then you take that 
80% into mission or into the studio and then finish it up? I, I find that uh, a lot of the stuff that I put in the demo um, is fairly intentional. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, all the time that, that I spend kind of throwing everything at the wall um, uh, honestly happens um, over the entire core of the uh, creative arc, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the, the real, um, the real moment to like pare everything down happens like when you're editing it all. But yeah. Um, so, right. So for the, this latest EP made up lost time, um, would you said that this one, you didn't actually, uh, record much of that in Pittsburgh at your home? I was working in Los Angeles with a, uh, a collaborator, um, his name's Sammy and, uh, and he had a very nice studio, um, east side of LA, um, that, uh, has, just like the right amount of everything you need and then um, puts it in a place where I can go somewhere like mission, know exactly like what I want to add. Um, so you're not kind of uh, um, spending days on end kind of just thinking about it because um, mm. studios still cost money. So right. um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun thing to remember. Nice. Well, it sounds great. I'm, I'm, you know, constantly just um, amazed that, you you have such a, a sound that's like the Kevin Garrett sound and it's it's been cohesive for every record has a sound and EP and I mean your full length but also your EPs and also just you as an artist and songwriter producer um I'm curious when you start the process, maybe, well, one, do you have a a writing phase? Like, do you say, okay, I'm going to sit down and write the next project, whether it's an EP or record. And then when you're in that, that state, do you say, okay, this is what this record sound is going to be. This is the world that I'm going to live in, in this moment. What is, what is that process like? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm fairly scattered, honestly, uh, okay. but in a, in a controlled way where I'm sort of being the ideas that they come in the appropriate buckets or folders. Um, so in the, the album that I put out last year um, was, uh, it was, it was like a culmination of about seven years of, I mean, my whole life, but, but like seven years of like demoing and like track listing and, and, um, but, but I've always looked at things as like larger bodies of work, not just like, mm-hmm. um, one thing. So, uh, hoax to me, I want to sort of bleed into the next album and then, um, other projects kind of be on their own islands and, and it's a mess. Yeah. Can you, <laughs> can you, uh, give us, can you articulate if, if, if at all, uh, what that world of hoax is and, and was when you were conceptualizing it, when you said that these songs didn't fit there, but some of the songs you, you've had for 13 years, I mean, you've evolved as a person <laughs> tremendously, I would imagine, in 13 years, whereas like something that I would have written 13 years ago, I don't think I would feel comfortable putting out in the world now saying, hey, this is the best representation of who I am right now. So I'm curious what that process was like and, and, and why you chose certain songs. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I've all, I always wanted to make an album that, um, that weaved through the ending of, of a relationship and, um, and sort of, instead of making it like, um, 
this narrative of like a personal experience, try and tackle it from like multiple angles. So you're observing um, more the idea of feelings versus something that might be too specific for anyone else to relate to. Um, and uh, that was something that I kind of took from that process that sort of expanded into sort of my overall mission to think less about um and, and nothing nothing wrong with the opposite or any other alternative but uh for me personally thinking less about um a thinking less about getting too specific um really diving into why um we we feel certain things so it was almost uh this album was kind of based on on themes and um and and feelings and um and kind of placing not necessarily telling stories uh specific stories as this like but but if if you had um a song or this a lyric that fit with uh the overall um kind of space emotional space that you were, were living in you're like this this will fit here because this is the emotional journey that I'm going through and I want to tell through this this project this record yeah yeah and I, th- I think I think with that in mind like these I mean songs are inherently stories for the most part um, then if I tend to stretch back into the more kind of narrative um, bit it's at least um, a bit more accessible for a broader audience to kind of t- uh, take the the song and, and apply it to something uh, within themselves. Cool. Um, I want to I want to get into uh, kind of the business behind everything because this is, after all, the new music business podcast. And uh, I mean, I could I could geek out on, on talking songwriting and production all day, but uh, most of the listeners of this are artists, producers, managers, um, and I'm curious uh, because you're totally independent still, right? Yeah. Right, and you've released. Uh, you've been releasing through a wall distribution for a while, um, and I, I'm curious um, early on because you know every every uh, headline will kind of say Beyonce is co-writer because you you wrote uh, "Pray You Catch Me" and that's going to live with you forever. Which Grammy nomination, not bad at uh, you know in your mid twenties to get that. Um, not not bad. Um, so early, early on. Um, you know, I, I read somewhere that you were with uh, Rock Nation for for publishing. Um, are you still with them for publishing, or did you switch to Cobalt? I am still with them. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, yeah, I'm still with them. Okay, cool. So, so um, how did that come to be, and what was kind of the first like early on when you were gigging around at Rockwood and you were releasing, you know, the, this EP, uh, your just initial, very very early on what was the first kind of industry looks that you were getting in? Who was the first person on your team? Was it a manager? Was it rock nation? What, what, what did the industry, the behind the scenes look like at that early stage? My friend of mine, um, who is now, um, I think more in like film and TV, um, composing, he, um, he, he was like, you're going to get out of college, give it a year. Um, and almost a year to the day, um, after I graduated is when I started getting a couple messages here and there about these demos. And um, there was a couple of people at NYU that were um, a bit young than me that were going to certain seminars or classes and, and, uh, and somehow the demos got from those classes to the Rock Nation office um, and a couple other places too that were interested. And I started recording 
everything properly. And I was about to um, also tour uh, the fall of 2014 with uh, James Vincent McMahon. And wow. uh, so it was a, it was kind of like a um, midpoint, a juncture of uh, I need money to go on tour. Um, and I, I also want to put music out, but on my own arms. And now there's a song that Beyonce wants. And, right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I remember it was, it was just before, like, um, shortly before I, I went on tour with James, um, I, uh, signed the pub deal. Um, and I'm pretty sure I didn't sign the pub deal. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't have, um, um, priority treatment with, uh, certain like correspondences with, uh, with the queen. So, um, it was, uh, it was a kind of a fair trade, but, um, you know, since then, uh, that song obviously behind the scenes and, and, um, in, in front of everyone has, has kind of given me a, a bit of a platform to, um, consider myself a career songwriter. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's definitely also, um, given me, uh, I, I, I handed the song off because I knew I had tours lined up and I knew that I was getting other music out. Um, and hopefully by the time the album would have come out, I wouldn't just be a, uh, another name on the credit of this album. Um, mm-hmm. and it could be something like, Oh, well, this artist, uh, worked on this album and, uh, it took about a year and a half before the album came out. Uh, so by that point, I had already put out um, a song called Precious and um, mm-hmm. Coloring and, and Refuse were, were getting some really great traction. So um, when when the album dropped, uh, a lot of people reached to, a lot of outlets reached out to um, talk and, and it was great. Uh, I just kept doing my thing. Um, but uh, if there's any learning experience with the publishing deal, um, I think I, what I tell a lot young artists uh that are free agents across the board um just don't sign anything <laughs> um because uh, there, there's there's probably chance even now with the current landscape of streaming kind of kind of being in a different place than it was a couple of years ago you still kind of wide open with with um other other angles um, mm. and you know obviously like resources it seems to be like the number one thing that trips up a lot of independent artists. Um, Resources you mean like an advance that they would give you? Yeah, like, like uh, you pay you money for. Like, yeah, fun, but but um, but just like access to marketing arms sure. and 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 radio and and anything like that. And uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it's been great working with AWOL because I finally have uh, like people who right. um are going to that or we're going until we shut down here, but going to and just this, to. Just to clarify um, for the listeners, uh, AWOL is not a record label. They're a uh, distribution company. They don't own any of your masters. They're just kind of a partner in your distribution, right? Right, right. And before AWOL, I was working with ED Baby. I, I was just putting stuff out, um, like, uh, you know, whatever, whenever it was ready to go. There wasn't, a, there wasn't like a real schedule. Um, sure. But uh, I guess to go back to the original question, sorry. Um, and <laughs> That's okay. When I handed the song off, I was totally on my own. Didn't really have uh, anyone. I, I talked to a lawyer about the publishing deal, and um, then the team at Rock Nation at the time were were somebody who I uh, knew from NYU, and um, 
and uh, a couple other people who were kind of like age and, and we were all um, trying to climb. Uh, and so it was, it was nice. And um, eventually after, I want to say um, six months, uh or even even less uh coloring had kind of done its thing um a little bit and and um i started working with them with rock nation on management too um and i was i was moving around such so on tours uh james was keeping me very busy and then i was doing like south by southwest and and communion music having me out for like months at a time and uh what's communion great. music communion music uh is a company it was founded by uh, Ben Lovett from Humphrey and Son. Um, mm -hmm. They are based primarily in London, uh, but they would have communion presents nights, and um, and they, I've I've known guys in Mumford for a while, uh, and through communion, and they put mm -hmm. me on a handful of tours over the years. So and every I want to. Oh, cool, amazing. Um, so uh, just to kind of uh, hit a few, there's a lot there. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about, I, I, there's a lot of points that I want to, I want to touch on and dig a little bit deeper into onto the, the, the how, um, and so, and, and just the specifics of how this stuff happens. So it's, um, now in terms of the, the publishing deal, um, now when you said I turned the song in, is this a publishing deal? Like most publishing deals where every song you put out, they own the publishing for, or is it just songs that you would turn into them? It's a, uh, it's an admin deal. So like admin. a couple, um, and, uh, it's, uh, you'll hear, you'll hear these four letters kicked around a lot. Um, uh, MDRC, um, which, uh, basically refers to a, um, a quota of, of writer share that you have to turn in to get through whatever number term on your deal. Um, and so, uh, do you know what MDRC stands for? Uh, it's like minimum delivery requirement commitment or something. Gotcha. Um, okay. And uh, I just know it as like something that, that I wish I had a little bit of um, uh, more uh, education on um, before, mm. before getting, getting too far into it. But um, it's, uh, I think in 2014, it, it, the MDRC type deal is, is, a bit more um, connected with kind of pre-stream uh, publishing, where okay. more physical records were being sold and, and bought, and um, and uh, and more uh, like the the old-fashioned way of, of releasing music. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, um, in my case, uh, since I am fully independent, um, the songs that I release don't really count towards my publishing deal so so it's an admin deal you have to uh so they don't necessarily own the publishing for all the songs that you're releasing on your own but they're still are they still administering uh the publishing so they're helping you collect your mechanicals and that kind of stuff yeah still administering okay. um and uh it's been it's been a nice kind of partnership that end but um yeah they handle my catalog. Cobalt handling, uh, Cobalt AWOL kind of handling more of the sync side of everything, of, of your music specifically? Yeah. Cool. And so um, when you turn in a song, I'm curious about the, the publishing process uh, with Rock Nation or just in general. Um, 
and how that all happened. So did they come to you and say, hey, Beyonce is looking for a song. Would you like to submit to it? Or was it like, hey, give us a good song. And you're like, here's How's Pray Catch Me. Or, or how did that process work? At, uh, at definitely a right place for timing. But um, I wrote the song on sitting on an amplifier, messing with a DL4 pedal in my bedroom in Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, had a demo. Um, and uh, they heard the demo. And essentially said she wants to cut it tonight so um it was uh it was the type of thing where i didn't know what to do um so i uh i said i gotta call my dad um and uh he was who's a doctor he doesn't he's like it's like <laughs> based on the prince of it um and uh yeah after it's kind of a bit of thought and and sort of going back and forth with um uh, my sort of team uh, getting the deal done uh, uh, worked on sort of getting stems finalized and and um, and then sent sent it off uh, like that but but typically um, with with an artist like that um, I think there's um, it's fairly selective like um, they, they they're looking for um, very specific um, moments and, and things that, that can be kind of um, pieced together to to form narrative that they're trying to articulate. Um, whereas there's other artists uh, in sort of pop music that, that you'll go into like camps and, and things and, and um, collaborate with other writers and producers to try and make something that is um, within parameters of what the artist wants to say. Right. Um, but somebody like some, somebody Beyonce and, and um, you know, a few artists that are, typically um uh very like invested in um the the energy that their music is is outputting from the beginning to the end um they 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 are a bit more um precise with their targeting Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. Sure. So you said you were writing that uh, at home, DL4 pedal. You said they called you and said she wanted to cut it tonight? 
Yeah. And it was, um, yeah, basically, uh, they heard the demo and, and I, I don't even know how much time passed, maybe, maybe a week. And, uh, and then I got a call uh, kind of around the time when I, when I signed the deal, um, and like she wants it. So, um, I was just about to, or I was on tour actually with James, um, and, uh, and sent the stems off and, um, and then didn't really hear the finished product until shortly before everyone else did. Uh, I remember your, uh, I, I think it was a tweet, uh, the morning that lemonade came out and you're like, it's cool to wake up and, uh, and find out that you have a cut on Beyonce's album. And I was, I was always curious when I saw that tweet, it's like, I wonder if he had a heads up or if that was really how it went down. So did like, when did you know that you were actually going to get the cut on, on the record? With something like that, I don't think anybody can really know until the record comes out. But uh, I think with that one, um, yeah, I, I heard um, some version of it a little bit before Lemonade came out. I was lucky to be working with Rock Nation, who obviously they know Beyonce farewell. Um, so uh, Rock Nation started by Jay Z and run by Jay Z. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I would get uh, some updates. I just tried not to think about it because I knew right. that if um, if she wasn't going to cut it, I was going to risk it. So okay, um, <laughs> it's a great song. Either way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what is the uh, the deal like um, in terms of uh, how does it work being with a publishing company? Um, are they setting you up on writing sessions? Like you say, you spend a lot of time in LA. Is that because you're doing a lot of, of writing sessions that they they set up, or how does that work? Um. I first started working with Rock Nation. Um, I they they paired me up with some sessions, mostly um, like sort of larger form things, like a, a couple camps and, and stuff. I, I learned pretty quickly that I'm that's not my speed. Um, uh, and by writing camps, can you just uh, explain a little bit what a writing camp is? Yeah. So sometimes artists are looking for new material, um, whether they want to be involved or whether they want to, um, you know, buy songs and. Uh, and so the label or, or the management team or, or whoever is involved um, in, the, in the project will kind of reach out to various producers, writers, um, other types of talent that, to, to sort of collaborate um, on side of the camp or just be regular sessions um, that you can do with those people. But um, it expedites things if you have everyone in the same place. Mm. so like for instance rihanna would say rihanna's working on a newer album and so you bring in all these writers uh to to kind of work on creating songs for the new rihanna album and then you yeah. kind of just spend everyday writing songs that you think would be good for rihanna is that kind of, is that am i understanding that yeah so uh you know it's like the the scale of the artist obviously but but somebody like her um there's so many songs getting sent for a project of hers. Uh, so the camps are, um, they can, they can be anything from, you know, six people, uh, in, in a studio for a week, um, or, you know, uh, a rotating more of, you know, 50 or a hundred people that come in and out and, wow. uh, and just keep making stuff. And then on top of that, you have like, uh, like there's, I've, I've sent stuff via camp and then I've sent stuff for the same artist in that camp from outside the camp uh it's 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 kind of just if you have if you have any sort of insight on um what what an a and r 
uh, at the artist is looking for for the project. Uh, being in the camp for me uh, has only really been beneficial with regards to meeting new producers. Um, okay. Right. So uh, I'm curious about your writing process um, when you get teamed up with a producer or another writer or you're doing a session uh, who's driving the session are you the one um, in the DAW at the at the laptop or are you kind of in the back on your keyboard and somebody else is triggering stuff and working on sounds and and, and that kind of or does it do you trade off yeah. does it vary in uh, most any session that I do uh, if it's especially if it's geared for another artist, I prefer if I can't have the artist in the room to be either one on one with a producer who can run the DAW, run the computer, run the session, um, and then I can just either like play instruments and write the song and, and sing it in, and then you move a bit faster. Um, stuff that is more for me, um, I uh, there's a there's a couple people um, who I've been working with lately who I trust. Um, to kind of uh, run the session uh, and mm -hmm. give me sort of creative freedom to um, jump into whatever I want, um, mm -hmm. but but when it's for when it's for somebody else, I I prefer actually to to be kind of kind of lurking, yeah. And for these uh, these writing camps, um, now I, I've heard various things, but I'm curious about your experience. Um, do these artists and or the labels are they paying for these writers to be there for their time to write, or is it only on the hopes that your song is going to actually get cut and then you'll kind of see the publishing royalties from that on the back end? Uh, yeah, it depends. Typically, I've, I've never gotten paid um, mm -hmm. until song gets cut. Um, there's there's some instances which I think are a little um, um, less common nowadays because of just how many songs come out um, that, uh, that, you know, label or, or artists will buy songs um, to then just do whatever they want with them. Um, but upfront fees... Um, go predominantly to producers uh, versus writers. Uh, the the writer share tends to come in on the back end. Are you when you're doing uh, these sessions? Are you uh, do you have a say in getting a producer credit from the get go? Or are you kind of uh, part of that process? It's a it's a like gray area. I think um, you're kind of towing a fine line between like um, you know ruining a relationship. If something is is fairly arbitrary, like I, I tend to play piano on everything that I do, uh, mm -hmm. and and if if I if I chase down production credit every single time I played piano on something, uh, I'd be I'd be neck deep in in a bunch of emails that aren't going to really result in anything. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's some session where I do a whole lot more. Um, yeah, which which is like dealing with instrument and dealing with um, multiple instruments and almost sort of like driving the session uh, from whatever keyboard I'm at. And in those those instances, I'll I'll sort of connect with with whoever I was working with and say like I I feel like this might be fair. Um, but uh, in in those sort of I like to say fast paced sessions where I'm quite literally just like playing a keys progression or not even playing keys progression, writing the song and singing it. Um, and we're trying to get multiple songs out. I'm purely a writer at that point. Um, so it, it's definitely over when streaming has kicked off and like music, people stop buying music, definitely become a very sort of blurred space in terms of who is who. And, um, uh, 
while you know, I think a lot of writers would would say that um, producers are getting preferential treatment these days. Um, there's a lot of producers I know that that are getting kind of um, you know uh, taken advantage of as well uh, with mm. sample stems and everything. So it's a uh, everybody everybody needs to be on the same team on the creative side. Uh, because, well, that's uh, a yeah. I mean, you you bring up a really good point. Um, producers are getting taken advantage of on with stems and stuff like that. So I'm curious if there are any um, things that you've learned or or any fail safe um, points or you, tactics that you know to do now so you don't get taken advantage of. Meaning, if an artist is like, "Hey, can you send me those stems?" You're like maybe <laughs> but like if i'm going to send you the stems then we need to work out let's sign this pro- uh, producer agreement here let's just sign this uh what this this song is going to be and that i'm going to be an equal producer on this or not just a writer because if it's just a you're just going to get a writing credit then they can just have the piano vocal demo and be like okay i'm i'm just a writer and and now you go produce it and, and you don't need stems. But right. if you want the stems, that means that you you want uh, the IP, you want my creative work um, and my, my production work. And, and because you want my production work, then, then I think that it's, it's very clear that I should be getting a, a producer credit on this. Yeah, I think um, with, with my original stuff, uh, because I am so involved on in the production, um, the, the people I've worked with have, have uh, in the past have, have seemingly been um, very flexible. Uh, so because I'm independent, um, with uh, sort of the sort of trust that we we build for for one another and and the mutual respect. Um, so I I haven't had like too much problem. There's there's like a couple people without naming names who who's it's less about them and more about their teams. Um, where where uh, I, I can't track certain things down um, without uh, sort of um, negotiating through through something that becomes a bit unrealistic for an independent artist um, at that point. Uh, so um, there's uh, there's that side of, of the of the coin, but for the most part, um, with with my stuff, uh, I I sort of go into the sessions kind of saying this is how I work. Um, nine times out of ten, I'm going to take this song even if you think it's done to a place like mission and I'm going to throw everything uh, and then like, and then the kitchen sink at, and whatever sticks I'm going to come back here and we're going to work on it again. Like mm. I'm, I've never, I've, I've never um, done that and then kind of like put it out with any sort of, um, credit that, but um, that it's, it sounds stupid, but like labeling things uh, is, is very helpful. Um, and, and, keeping like a good record of like what's what and just putting your initials and in all the files. I would, um, I would just always advise uh, like um, to not be afraid of, of sharing things because you never know like where it's going to go. You never know who's who is going to work on it. And it could be something that could open a big door being, being open to that kind of collaboration has proven to be full for me. Um, so that, not, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's great. Um, I, I'm, I'm, uh, it's a fine line because I think what, what catches up a lot of young songwriters and producers, especially is knowing, um, when to have the conversation that nobody wants to have the uncomfortable conversation, the worst conversation that everybody is the, the splits and ownership and, you know, the money and all of that stuff. And so, but, but like you said, sometimes 
you get taken advantage of if you don't have those conversations. So I, I'm curious, you know, when you're sending stuff off, but you just said like, you know, send stuff off because you never know what's going to, uh, what, what can come of it, which I totally get and understand. Um, so what have you learned and what would you kind of advise people? So, so label, so put your initials on there, you know, that, that's a good way to track it. But when do you kind of, um, not send something before you have that conversation or when does that, that uncomfortable conversation need to happen and how do you approach those conversations or do you just like have your people do it now and say, all right, my management's going to take it from here or something like that. Definitely have, have your management, uh, help with this, uh, always. Um, I would, I would say that, um, the one thing that I've kind of learned to do is just read the room. Uh, if, if there's, I mean, there was a session in recently where, uh, where I was going to send a song off and it would co-write, with, um, a couple other people. And, and, uh, there's, this this notion that if the song is sent off it's it's going to be kind of um picked apart and like other people will get tossed onto it uh to to kind of fill some void and um what i do in that case like i if it depends on the artist um but if still sending it i'll I'll probably say something like um i want like the the reserve the right for like the first round of edits or a rewrite or anything um and make yourself as clear as possible um because at the end of the day if just something off i don't think really you you kind of relinquished your control um but but uh but the the ability to articulate yourself and if you're sending stems especially um uh, they they should like what you're doing if to say hey you change this can you do this and and it's again just like a trust thing but um with splits and everything like that conversation has never been hard. Um, there's a, there's a few moments uh, here and there where it's like, I, I did 95% of the song and I know that you're in the room just on your own, like, like looping the thing. So I write on it. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, most of the time, like people that I'm working with are equal contributors. Um, I've been very lucky. Uh, so it's, it's pretty even splits. Um, and then if it isn't like, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, and that just, just comes with, uh, just, just being as transparent as, as you can be with, with any. And then when you run into the, um, the sort of greedy people that, that are, are in there for the wrong reasons, um, it, it becomes something where I, I tend to lean on, on my team or um, at the very least um, a, a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, if I'm understanding you, uh, most sessions you do, everything is split equally if everybody's in the room kind of creating it at the same time, or do you actually work that out after the session and be like, all right, so I think I, I should get 75%. Are you cool with 25% or how does that work? I think um, it's, it's, uh, usually the sessions are so small for me. Um, it's either one-on-one or, or three of us. And, um, it's, it's fairly understood into it, um, that, uh, that everyone's getting the same split. Um, but and again, if it is, if it is so obvious that like, uh, I stand on a piano and, and wrote the entire song in 10 minutes and then, and then we tracked it right. for the rest of the day. Um, then, then I can go, go in afterwards and be like, Hey, I, I did this, um, mm-hmm. you, you're a producer or whatever, but I, I like wrote this whole thing. Cool. 
Um, in terms of uh, now, as when you have your producer hat on um, and you're producing, uh, you know, for either a song for another artist or with another artist, um, is that, what is your producer style? I mean, are you, uh, do you typically get kind of a session fee paid up front plus points on the back end? Uh, what is, do you have a typical deal at this point of, of what your, uh, you pitch as, uh, you know, to, to produce a, a, a track or a record? I like to keep it um, kind of slide because uh, I don't want to, um, my experience working with certain um, producers uh, with, you know, more of track records, like bigger names. Um, I can never really figure out um, how to like properly like get the songs finished because uh, whatever is, is in those sessions sometimes is too hard to track down uh, because of a fee or because of like points or, or because of something that's like unreasonable. Um, and so um those those songs I, I tend to try and repurpose or like pitch uh so then everybody everybody wins if, if it gets placed um but uh with with stuff if if somebody uh or or with with another artist if they want to like produce something um i I'd, i'm probably um because i'm so invested in my own work a bit selective with who i want to work on that end um and uh, by that same logic, uh, I'm not really, I'm not really thinking too hard about um, what I'm getting paid uh, for for something like that because I'm probably really passionate about it in the first place. Um, but I would I would like to think that if if you shift more towards a more exclusive like production type of um, gig um, versus everything else uh, that that. Uh, that kind of those those terms are sort of articulated um, for the sake of the of the artist and the producer, like as um, clearly and upfront as possible. Sure, um, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because you're you're more, I would say, an artist songwriter first. Um, you obviously have production credit, and, and you co-produce everything that you do. You put out as as yourself as the artist. Um, whereas you're not, you know, I, I just interviewed uh, Zaytoven yesterday, uh, the producer, you know, right. And so, you know, he's a producer first and uh, yes, he releases music under his, his own name. Um, but he's, everybody knows him as the producer as the you know, godfather of trap and that's, that's him. And so it's a very different kind of approach when you are being hit up as a producer and you're going in working as a producer slash songwriter, whereas like you're the artist slash songwriter slash producer. Um, but that makes sense. So you're kind of uh, taking on um, artists who you're passionate about. So that that makes sense. And I'm assuming some of these artists maybe don't have necessarily as much money to kind of pay up front the producer fees. And so you're kind of probably just say like, hey, like, let's work on this together and we'll split it on the back end kind of deal. Yeah, I, th I think uh, um, the independent sort of um, mind that has always been uh very like team oriented um and, and you know it there's there's a clear path finish line it just requires a lot of compromise and, and a lot of um, in certain in certain areas like a, a bit extra effort to to get from a to b um but uh the thing that i've learned is because of stuff like the beyonce song uh and other things i've been put into rooms that are much more um uh used to the sort of major label um pool of resources and and so forth and and so uh they don't even 
even familiar with the types of discussion like um and back end stuff because the label owns everything so like mm-hmm. the label is going to give them what they want like like nine times out of ten and, and mm-hmm. you know the, the negotiation with a company instead of negotiating with a singular person um and so it, it's it's just a slightly different um dialogue in that in that world but um, mm-hmm. definitely it, with whatever i'm collecting on for my own stuff and from working with i always try and be just vocal out like this is something that has been built for years from the ground up, um mm-hmm. and and is as authentic as it gets you're not going to work with somebody um who's who's more um honest with my music is or their music is as i am that's kind of what i'm always trying to chase after and mm-hmm. uh and so if if you can keep that kind of um mentality and just and I guess it's it's about like remembering like where you come from, um, which which is helpful. So uh, so like, I, stay I just humble. Have, Hashtag stay yeah. humble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, that's cool. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, so so Kevin, I know uh, you got a dip because you got a live stream concert, I believe, for Billboard in like twenty five minutes. So I'm gonna. Um, yeah. I just have one final question um, that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, what does it mean to you to make it? in the new music business? Great question. Um, yeah. I don't ever want to feel like I, I made it. Um, I think obviously um, I've been very lucky to, to all music, um, my job um, in whatever capacity uh, and luckier to call my original music, my job for the time being. Um, and I think that um uh, I have a lot that I want to do. I have a lot of things that, that uh, a lot of people I want to work with a lot of, a lot more music. And um, I think uh, some, something along the lines of uh, interview that Donald Glover had said, how does Gambino was really uh, kind of in its infancy, but he was a fairly successful TV writer and uh, co- comedian and actor at that point. And um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I want to feel like I've made it because that would, um, I think it's easy to set a goal, um, but I don't want there to be some kind of end cap for what making it is defined as, because then um, I don't want to lose ambitious energy uh, that mm-hmm. has gotten me to the point that I'm at now, because it's going to hopefully push me a bit further uh, yeah. in the future here. Love it. Kevin Garrett, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So it is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.